Praise God. <clears throat> Please be seated wherever you are. Wow, this has been a very interesting week, to say the least, uh, for Singapore. New advisories uh, come in every other day from the authorities, from every sphere of life in our society, and I believe many of you will feel it. I encourage you uh, to also chat online as you watch this sermon, uh, how it has been for you as you uh, uh, go through this week. For us, you know, for example, we were informed as a nation that all gatherings, not just religious gatherings, but even private gatherings, are now restricted to only 10 packs. And then this week, the government is coming down really hard on people who flout uh, stay-home notices uh, and those who fail to keep the one-meter safe distancing. At the same time, we saw a huge spike in uh, COVID-19 cases, with many cases currently unlinked, and that suggests really a larger community spread. And so if you haven't heard, this is the main reason why our leadership and I have decided to move all our CGs and programs online. That is, we will not meet face-to-face at all, at least until the month, end of April. So let's do our part to keep this virus at bay by staying physically away from each other. But let's not stop connecting. We cannot meet face-to-face, but let's connect through digital means. You know, the good thing about technology is this. We can easily connect even late at night at 10 p.m., when your children has gone to bed, they have gone to bed, then you can have your CG, right? So some CGs I know have this challenge. It's very hard to have a cell group having Zoom when your children are running around in the background. So why not consider having the CG at 10 p.m.? After all, now you don't have to worry about missing the last bus home. Okay, so some ideas for you to think about how you may connect differently in this season. Of course, it's not all bad news. We thank God for the government. They have released a resilience budget to help us through this very difficult season as a nation. We thank God for that. And here in Amokyo Church, we have three initiatives to help uh, all of you. Number one, we want to continue to extend pastoral care and support to those who are on home quarantine, stay-home notices, and leave of absence. Details are found in the bulletin. Contact Lewis for that. Secondly, we want to offer digital support to those who have difficulties connecting online, either for your cell group or just to watch the live stream services. If you know of anyone with these challenges and difficulties, please write in to us in the church office email. We will also do our best to support. And third, we want to look at financial support for members who are affected financially uh, by COVID-19. Contact our pastoral team member, QC, through your zone leaders, We'll be happy to support financially alongside with the government. Uh, We would let the government take the lead, but we will support in our own way as well. Separately, I'm also exploring how, as a church, we can do more for people in need who are not our members. So all these details are conducted, but the three existing support plans are already found in our bulletin. Uh, The details are there, so do notice and uh, take action if needed. Okay, But all this is what has happened so far. What will happen? in the week after. What's going to happen next week? Will things get better? Will things get worse? No one knows. Only God knows. But thankfully, God in some way has made the future known to us. And today's scripture passage, Romans chapter 8, verses 14 to 27, tells us what this future looks like. So let me now read Romans chapter 8 to us, beginning at verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive 
brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation awaits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes with God's people in accordance with the will of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Together let us pray. Lord, we live in such uncertain times. But Lord, we thank you that we have certain truths in your word. Lord, we thank you and we ask your Holy Spirit, teach us, illuminate your truths to us today. Help us to find comfort and strength in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so the first point for today's sermon, what the future holds, the future that God foresees, if you look at verse 21, is this, the entire creation will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. That's verse 21. What does that exactly look like to have no more decay? Straight away, I think of the second law of thermodynamics. Without making those of you who hate uh, science groan and those of you who love science overly excited, the second law of thermodynamics can be simply described as uh, by from a scientific point of view, over time, the entropy of a closed system increases. But what's entropy? Entropy can also be known as disorder. And so the simplest way to describe this law is this. Over time, things become more disordered. Over time, things become more disordered. This is the second law of thermodynamics. For example, we see our metabolic rate going down. You, Our joints begin to ache more and more. Electronic components wear out, and for my home, it becomes increasingly messy as my children's toys are left all over the house. So we see the second law of thermodynamics happening all the time. But I really cannot imagine then what it's like to be no longer in bondage, to decay, to disorder, where no one is subject any longer to death and to decay. But that's a glorious future that all of us can look forward to. No more decay. Secondly, the scripture promises to all of us that there will be no more destruction, not just within the human kingdom, but even within the animal kingdom. The Old Testament prophets had this glimpse of the future. I'll give you two references here. Isaiah chapter 65, verse 25. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. 
Imagine that. No longer will the wolf eat the lamb, but now they will feed together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. Wow. And then the dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. And then in Micah chapter 4, verse 3, God says, He will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. So no more destruction. That's another aspect of this glorious future we can look forward towards. The third kind of future that the scripture promises to us is taken from the last chapter of the last book of the Bible, book of Revelation, chapter 21. On the screen, you just have verses 4 and 5, but I will begin reading with verse 1. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down of heaven from God, uh, from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And then verse 4, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, Write these down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And so when Romans 8.21 says, The entire creation will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of God, this is the glorious future that is promised to all of us who are believers. When we fully become the people of God, God is fully present with us and all of creation is made new. So that's the promised future, which is 100% certain. The near future may be uncertain, bleak. We do not know what will happen next week, but we know the far future is 100% certain. And so let's take comfort in knowing that. A few years ago, when I was in the United States for my studies, I had to drive at least four to five hours non-stop to go to the nearest beach. Yeah, it's a big country. It's not like Singapore. You know, we just take a short drive. We can go to the nearest beach. And once the toilet and meal breaks were factored in, it would easily take us seven to eight hours just to go to the nearest beach. My children were five and two at the time. And as you can imagine, they kept asking throughout that long journey, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Why so long? For them who had no access to Google Maps, they didn't know where we were going, which road we were taking. For them who had very little understanding of time, this near future for them felt very bleak, very uncertain. Why am I seeing trees all the time? Always this road, so boring. But for me, who knew exactly where I was headed, the road I was on, I was never worried. Importantly, I knew what joy it would be for my children when they got to the beach. In the same way for us now, with our limited understanding, compared to a God who knows everything, who knows the glorious future, the near future may seem very bleak, very uncertain, but we must all learn to trust God, just as my children trusted me on that long journey. So that's point number one, the, what the future holds, the promises of God in His Scripture. Now point number two, not only do we uh, know what the future holds, more importantly, we know who holds the future. Who holds the future? 
But before Apostle Paul spoke about the glorious future to come, he wrote in verse 14, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. And the Holy Spirit is our wonderful guide and companion. We must learn to trust His leading. And just as an aside here, it's important to note the Holy Spirit is not an energy or kind of kind of force like Star Wars. He's not an abstract force. No, He's the third person of the triune Godhead. He has everything which encompasses personhood except having no physical body. He has thoughts. He has emotions. That's why Paul says in another part of Scripture, Ephesians 4.30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has a will. He has a desire. He is alive. And this Holy Spirit comes to live inside each believer the moment we are justified by faith. And according to today's scripture text, the Holy Spirit helps us in three main areas. First of all, He leads us. He leads us and guides us. One of my favorite poems is the one by Minnie Lewis Haskins. The title given by the author to this poem was God Knows. God Knows. She studied and, ta- and studied and taught at the London School of Economics in the first half of the 20th century. But its more common title is actually known as uh, the Gate of the Year. Let me just quote to you the first part. And I said to the man who stood at the gate of the year, Give me a light that I may tread safely into the unknown. And he replied, Go out into the darkness and put your hand into the hand of God. That shall be to you better than light and safer than a known way. Go out into the darkness and put your hand into the hand of God. That shall be to you better than light and safer than a known way. Wow, what a great poem. What a great assurance for all of us. COVID-19 has plunged our world into darkness, uncertainty, but God is present even in the darkness. What the future holds is uncertain, but we can be certain who holds the future. So therefore, let us follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. The second thing the Holy Spirit does for us is to enable intimacy with God our Father. As verses 15 to 16 says, The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. I mentioned briefly at the start of our Roman series that adoption is a very big thing in ancient Roman society. It's uh, not only granting adopted children equal rights and status as biological children, but many times they even had uh, greater privileges. For instance, many of the emperors, Roman emperors' own biological children did not succeed them. Instead, it was their adopted children who took over them as emperors. So adoption was a big thing in ancient Roman society. And so when Paul says we are adopted as God's sons, we must not think that we are inferior to Jesus. Of course, adoption here doesn't make us like God. Jesus is God. No, it doesn't make us like God. But it does give us every privilege and every benefit that God the Father accords to His Son, Jesus Christ. And that's why Paul says in verse 17, Now if we are children of God, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Do you hear that? Heirs of God 
and co-heirs with Christ. Co-heirs, we will share in Jesus' inheritance. That's mind-blowing, isn't it? And so here, family, we need to recognize the other thing that the future holds is that we are going to inherit the whole of the new creation. That's the promise of God. Currently, we are only stewards. Stewards do not own the property. They merely manage it, and one day we must give an account. But the future, that glorious day, is the day that we are going to inherit the new earth, as Revelation 21 reminds us. And so that's something glorious we can look forward to as children of God. But before that glorious day of inheritance, the most precious thing that the Holy Spirit does for us is to enable intimacy with God, our Heavenly Father. We can all cry out to God right now, Abba, Father. Think about that. How many other religions dare to make such an audacious claim that God is our Father and we are all children of God? But we have such boldness and confidence because the Spirit testifies with our spirit that indeed we are the children of God. John Wesley preached a wonderful sermon on this and I picked it up back in 2018. You can go to our church website to hear this sermon, the witness of the Holy Spirit, how he testifies to all of us that we are beloved children of God. I encourage you to listen to that message again and let that truth sink in until we truly have intimacy with God our Father. Now to be clear, the word Abba here does not refer to the Swedish pork uh, supergroup. All right? Instead, for the Jews, it was a term of great endearment, a term of intimacy. You know, we can call our parents, our dads, father, which is correct, that's formal, but there's also an informal term, a term of endearment that all of us have with our own parents. For example, I call my own father, Papa. My children call me Pups. That is their term of endearment for me. I don't know how they evolved that way. They call me Pups. But that's their term of endearment for me. So each of us relate to our parents differently. But point here is this. Not only do we have a formal, reverent relationship with God our Father, that we call Him Father, but we also have an intimate relationship with God that we can call Him Abba or Papa, whatever is your term of endearment for your Heavenly Father. And so that's what the Holy Spirit does. It enables us to have this intimate relationship with God our Father. And once I understood this truth, many times in my prayer time, what I do, I just simply say, Papa God. And then I can feel His presence just come over me and I just sit in His presence receiving His love. That's a wonderful time, a wonderful experience. I hope all of you will encounter this for yourselves, that you can draw near to God with such intimacy because of the Holy Spirit who lives within you. Third, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. Looking at verse 26 and 27, He intercedes for us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but He intercedes for us through wordless groans. He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. I will forever remember the following account years ago when I was a pastor at my former church. On one Sunday morning while I was driving to church, uh, the names of two people I mentored suddenly popped into my mind. But because I was driving, going to work as usual, and uh, because I wanted to be a good pastor to take sermon notes, I didn't really think too much about these two names because I really didn't know what to pray for them at that moment anyway. I'm driving, I cannot call them, right? I'm in the middle of the church service, I, possibly, I cannot call them. I decided to be a good pastor, so-called. 
But turns out halfway through the service, uh, through the sermon, one of them texted me and said, Pastor, I got into a road accident. After the service, I discovered the other person had a small incident at the car park. He bumped into someone else's car. Thankfully, both incidents were not life-threatening. But when I related this incident later on to someone I looked up to in church, this senior lady said, Pastor Anthony, next time you should pray in tongues when you do not know what to pray for. When God gives you those names, when the Holy Spirit gives you those names, impresses upon you certain things or certain people, pray, pray in tongues, if you, even if you cannot understand logically why He gave you those things. And so from then on, I made it my spiritual discipline whenever the Holy Spirit uh, wants me to intercede for people, impresses upon me certain names, certain things, I'll begin to intercede and pray in tongues. Whether I'm driving in front of the computer, it doesn't matter anymore because now I can just pray aloud in tongues. And so I pray for all of us, we will also learn to walk with the Holy Spirit as He intercedes for God's people. He will get us to partner with Him, partner alongside to intercede and together we can shape the future, prevent certain disasters from happening. So we may not know the future, but we know the one who knows this future and he invites us to participate, to partner with him so that we can form the future together. So let's learn together as a church in this season especially to walk with the Holy Spirit every day. Learn to be led by the Holy Spirit and intercede as he causes us to intercede. Okay, we have covered quite a lot of ground so far, so I think it's important that we take a pit stop here and summarize what we have covered so far. First of all, we know what the future holds. It's a glorious future according to the word of God. No more decay, no more destruction, no more death. We also know who holds the future. God, the Holy Spirit in particular, who leads us into the unknown, who leads us into intimacy with God the Father and leads us in prayer and deep intercession. The third and final point for today's sermon is this, really to wait patiently for the future. While the future promised to us is glorious, the present path the Holy Spirit leads us through is one of suffering and groaning. Suffering and groaning. Look at verses 17 to 25 again. If we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. We like that part very much, but let's not forget the second half. If indeed we share in His sufferings, in order that we may also share in His glory. I consider, important here, that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not have, we wait for it patiently. And so the first thing about waiting for the future is that we must be prepared to share in Christ's suffering. We must be prepared to share in Christ's suffering. I know many Christians claim Psalm 91 for protection this season. I too pray Psalm 91 for myself, for my family, for all of you that we be protected from this virus. But I think Martin Luther, the reformer, 
Martin Luther's take on dealing with plagues and diseases is far more commendable. And I want to share it with you. This is what he says. Therefore, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Right? It's not wrong, right? To ask God for protection. But then I shall fumigate, help to purify the air, administer medicine and take it. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order not to become contaminated and thus uh, perchance infect and pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. Look at that. So we don't want to be vectors. We don't want to be unconsciously carrying the virus to someone else and infect someone else because we were complacent. We need to recognize that. Then Martin Luther continues by saying, If God should wish to take me, he will surely find me. And I have done what he has expected of me, and so I am not responsible either for my own death or the death of others. If my neighbor needs me, however, I shall not avoid place or person, but will go freely as stated above. See, this is such a God-fearing faith, because it is neither brash nor foolhardy, and it does not tempt God. I want to commend this approach to all of us. Sure, we can pray for protection because Martin Luther taught that it was not wrong to flee from death because he gave the example in his uh, sermon whether one might flee from the deadly plague. He gave the example of King David who fled from both Saul and Solomon. But at the same time, Martin Luther was very clear. If it is our duty to help others, let us not flee because of the fear of disease. Instead, let us do our duty to serve our neighbours, to protect our neighbours by not getting ourselves infected and then passing on the virus. And so as Christians, in this season, we must not be afraid to suffer for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of others. We must not fear the disease so much that we fail to take care of others who are the sick. Then this reminds me of Dr. Chow, the medical doctor who gave his life tending to patients back in SARS-2003. He's a Christian. He was on holiday, but when SARS broke out, he cut short his holiday. He did his duty, came back and ministered to the patients. Unfortunately, uh, his life ended then, but he did his part. And so on our part, we must also be responsible. We stop meeting people face-to-face. CGs go online, prayer meetings, we meet uh, virtually, pray together, synchronize prayer at 8 o'clock instead of meeting face-to-face. We do our part not to contaminate other people. We do our part at the same time by willing to step forth to help if it's our duty. And we know many of our medical frontline staff have been working very hard to combat this COVID-19 virus. So let's do our part. Let's not make the healthcare system even more uh, worked than it is already, right? It's already overworked. We are almost at the brim. So let's do our part as a church, as citizens in Singapore. We must learn to suffer for the sake of others. Remember, Jesus never suffered for his own sake. He suffered for the sake of others. So in the same way, let us learn to embrace suffering for the sake of others' good. The second point here, under point number 3, 3.2, is that Paul says we must learn to groan alongside with creation. Verse 22, 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we await eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. I don't claim to know the pains of childbirth. I certainly cannot. I've never experienced it myself. 
But what I have experienced with my own eyes, I saw the groans that my wife had to go through in the labor ward. And I can tell you it is not pleasant at all. I'm sure all the wives, all the mothers will know this. It's a terrible feeling to groan. But at the end, it's a great uh, reward. But in the meantime, it's painful. That groaning is painful. When I read this passage, it struck me. Can you imagine God intentionally put us through decay so that we may learn to groan? We always think growing, oh, it's a painful you know, uh, process and then it's filled with regrets. But if you see from God's point of view, this process that God subjects us to, and not just us, but all of creation, according to Romans 8, is so that we may learn to groan with the Spirit who groans with us, with wordless groans. And so this Lent season, as we battle COVID, may we also learn to groan in the spirit of prayer and intercession. Once again, a reminder, join us for synchronized prayer at 8pm this Wednesday. We groan partly because we cannot meet face-to-face anymore, but importantly, we must learn to groan because all of creation is groaning. We must groan not only that God will deliver us from COVID, but that He will send revival to our land once again. We groan because we are longing for something far greater, the redemption of our bodies and the new creation that must come about. And so to this end, point number 3.3 here, we must never lose hope. We must never lose hope. Remember the long road trips my children had to endure? But the moment they hit the beach, all is forgotten. They just want to play and play and play. They were so engrossed in playing, they forgot all about that long and tiring road trip we we had to go through. In the car, they had a lot of hope, a lot of expectation, but they had to be told to, to wait. But when they reached the beach, they didn't have to wait anymore because they have received their reward. And that is why Paul says in verses 24 and 25, For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And therefore, while we groan in the present, we never lose hope. And hope is the reason why we are able to wait patiently, even if we do not know what the near future holds. And so to conclude today's sermon, according to Romans chapter 8, the far future is certainly glorious. But like my children on this long road trip to the beach, who get very impatient with the many so-called obstacles from their point of view, many temporal stops, pump petrol, take a rest, go toilet, have a meal. The near future seems very bleak, very uncertain, seems to be unending even. And we often ask ourselves, you know, we often find ourselves asking, are we there yet? When will this COVID-19 pandemic be over? When can we resume normal life? What does the future hold? Are we there yet? The answer from me to them then and from God to us today is, you know what's coming, my friends. You know what's coming, my family. But now you must wait. In the meantime, you can suffer. You must suffer and groan. But wait, wait for it patiently. Let us pray together. Lord, we know it is difficult to wait. But Holy Spirit, teach us in this Lent season what it means to wait patiently, to groan alongside with you as you groan for the redemption of our bodies and for the new creation. Teach us in this season to always put our trust in you, Holy Spirit, you who will guide us, 
We cannot see the future, but you do. Help us to trust in you every step of the way. Importantly, Lord, help us to be the church, that we will not cower in fear, but we will step out whenever duty calls. Help us to be responsible, socially responsible, to not pass on the virus to anyone else, but at the same time, help us to have the love and compassion to do what's necessary to love our neighbours as ourselves. So Lord, help us in this season once again to truly embrace your word and live out your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.